Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church or are with us remotely via the live stream. This morning, we are also privileged to witness the profession of faith of 10 people, three of whom will thereby join our church, and also the baptism of Joseph Wong. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Following last week's election, Consistory has appointed Brother Ashley Mulder to the office of deacon. If no lawful objections brought forward by the 6th of November, the ordination of the office bearers will take place on Sunday the 19th of November in the morning service. The consistory as elders only will the Lord willing meet tomorrow at 8 p.m. And this morning worship service will be led by our Reverend Poppy. And before we commence this service, let us sing together hymn 51, verse 1, 2, and 3. brothers and sisters, will you please rise and let us worship the Lord.
begin our worship this morning with a confession that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. Let's sing together from Psalm 33, the verses 1 and 6. gifts that God gave his people after he, he rescued them. So there's a, a story about how God rescued his people. They were slaves in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt as a nation for himself. One of the first things that he did is he revealed his law to them because he wanted to teach them how to live and how to rest under his blessing. And so we're going to read together that law. We're going to read it as it comes to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, in giving us this law, the Lord has revealed his character to us. He teaches us what kind of a God he is, that he is a righteous God who wants what's right and good. And there's a place later in the Bible, in Matthew 22, where the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he impresses this upon the people, and he teaches them what stands at the heart of it. What really stands at the heart of the law is love. In Matthew 22, that the Lord Jesus Christ was asked, which is the first and the greatest commandment? And the Lord Jesus answered with these words. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 32. In this song, we're going to use the words of King David. We're going to confess that sometimes we have not been loving to God and we have not loved the people around us. Psalm 32, the verses 1 and 2.
We want to pray that you would help us through the Bible, that we can understand and appreciate what a great gift you've given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Please grant that we can open the Bible and that we can understand it, that with your Holy Spirit that you make it clear to us. And Lord, the, the other thing that we, we want to plead with you for is that we want to ask you that, you that you not hold against us those things that we have done wrong. We understand that you're a holy God, that you're majestic and glorious, that you always do what's right and that you never sin. And we understand that we have sinned. We just read your law and you call us to love you and we, you call us to love each other. And if we look back at this past week, Lord, then we realize that there's times and ways in which we failed that. And so we want to acknowledge that to you. We want to ask for your grace and for your forgiveness. Father, please have mercy for us. And please do it for Jesus' sake. Hear our prayer. We ask in his name. Amen. So this morning I get to preach God's word to you. We're going to look especially at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1 tells us about how the gospel has the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And in order to appreciate what it says there, I thought it's appropriate just to put that into the larger context. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, and we're going to read together from Romans 1, verse 8, through to chapter 2, verse 11. If you want to follow along in your guest Bible, you can find that on page 1116. So we're going to start reading together at Romans 1, verse 8. There God's word says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women, for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be, will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So far, the, the reading of God's word. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing a song where we, again, make a confession of our sins and we, we can look to God in hope. We're going to sing from Psalm 130, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
passage I'd like to preach to you about this morning is taken from the passage we read together from Romans 1. It's Romans 1, the verses 16 and 17. I'd like to read that with you once again. You can find it on page 1116 of your guest Bible. Maybe I should have mentioned here, the book of Romans this was written by the Apostle Paul. It's probably around 57 AD, and he, was, he had never met Rome before. He had never gone to Rome but he always wanted to go there and he wanted to preach the gospel to them. He was actually on his way back to Jerusalem. He had collected a gift from some of the other churches for the believers in Jerusalem who were really suffering and who were poor. And so he's on his way to deliver the gift and he promised the Romans, he says, after that, he says, I'd like to come and help you. But in the meantime, he tells them, what's the gospel really all about? Who is God? What does it look like to live in a relationship with God? And the core of, of the book of Romans is really these two verses, Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. The God's word says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friends and guests, today's a really special day for us. We get to witness the public confession of faith of you young people, and Joseph, we also get to witness your baptism. And that's a really beautiful thing. We are so thankful to God that God has brought you to this point. Also for, for you, Sam, and for you, Roz, and for you, Jolene, that you wish to to make a public confession and also to join our church. It's really it's a very special thing for us when we get to this point. Now when this happens for, for the young people, you know, sometimes it seems automatic. We have young people who are born in our church and they grow up and as parents we teach them about who God is and they come to confess their faith in God, they believe in God, and they get to this point where they want to confess their faith. They say, I want to let everybody know that I believe God, that he is my Lord and that I need him, and that I trust him, and that I love him. Well, it's still really special. And the reason for that is because you never get to that point by yourself. If you know God, if you believe in God, if you have a relationship with God, that's the work of God. God, the Holy Spirit, has to give that to you. And so for me, this is one of the highlights of my year when we get to have a service where young people make profession of their faith, where new members join, it's a picture that God is at work among us, that his Holy Spirit is, is working in our hearts, that we know him and that we love him, that we serve him, that we want to be with him. And so it's really a, a beautiful opportunity for us to acknowledge God and to praise him for the gifts of his grace. And that's especially true because it usually happens. I just... Uh, just looked over, went over trying to review some of the things that have happened during the time here that I've been in Southern River. And one of the things I wrote down is I wrote down all the names of the people who ever left the church. And we've had between, for young people, I think there's around 18 young people in the last 10 years who've been born in families in our church and who've left our church. They don't believe in God. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't care about Him. And when you put it into that context, and what happens here today is just super special. God is very kind to us. This very special gift that he allows us, 
He allows you to know him and to love him. Well, how did it happen? How do you come to know God? How can it be that two children in one family, they have the same parents, they receive the same upbringing, they do the same devotions around the dinner table with their parents, and one of them believes and the other one doesn't? How can it be? Well, this is the work of God. It's the work of His Spirit. But what stands at the heart of it is the gospel. The real difference is how do you approach the gospel? The gospel is good news. The Bible is God's gospel. It's His good news. And the core question is, what do you do when you hear the good news? Do you believe it? Or do you reject it? Paul says, the gospel has power. He's delighted in the gospel. It's the most amazing thing ever. Because the gospel has power for salvation for everyone who believes. If you hear the gospel and if you believe it, that's the means that God uses to bring you into a relationship with him. That's the means he uses to reveal himself to you. That's what the Holy Spirit uses to work faith in your heart so that you know him and that you love him and that you live with him. And so Paul celebrates the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. It's really simple. A lot of people think it's really dumb. There's a lot of people, when they hear the gospel, when they hear about Jesus Christ dying on a cross, paying for sin, and they, they hear the call that you need to believe in Jesus who died 2,000 years ago, they say that's madness. I don't believe that. I'm not going to follow a dead guy. But Paul says he's not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. His whole life was focused around preaching the gospel because it is the power of God. It is the means that God uses to bring people to himself. And so I've summarized our text with that theme. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. We're going to see in the first place the need for the gospel and secondly, the gift of the gospel. So first, the need. What is the gospel? Literally, the word for gospel means good news. The gospel is the you angelizo. Angelizo is, is news, and you is good. So this is good news. God has good news for you. And the good news here, it's not just that you passed your exams. It's not the news that you're going to become a grandpa, although those things are good news. But the good news here is something more foundational. It's good news about how to live in a relationship with God. God says it's good news about how to be saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And what he's referring to here when he talks about salvation is salvation from sin and from guilt. Sometimes there's a little stuff in our lives that we feel guilty about. Maybe you feel guilty about cutting someone off here on the way to church. Maybe you feel guilty about making somebody wait. Sometimes we feel guilty about a bit more serious things. You bullied, you look back at your life, and you think about the time when you used to bully your little sister. 
you see what a huge impact that had in your life and you feel really guilty about that. Or you feel guilty about how you yelled at your, your wife. Or how you gave your husband the silent treatment. But how you lie, or you cheat, or you take advantage of others. And sometimes you have a profound sense of guilt and of shame over the sins that you've committed. Well, God is the one who puts that guilt in your heart. He gives you a conscience. And he makes you feel guilty. And that's a beautiful thing. Because when he makes you feel guilty, then he makes you realize that what you're doing is not right. And that it needs to get fixed. That it needs to change. And the reason he does that is because he's a good God. Sometimes we wish that we didn't feel guilty. We wish that we could do things and that our conscience wasn't wasn't raging at us. We wish it would just go away and sometimes you go to counseling and the counselor says, well, just don't think about that. Just forget about it. Everybody's like that. Don't feel guilty about that. But God is very different. He says, you need to feel guilty. He's not, he's not, he doesn't feel bad about making you feel guilty. It's when you feel guilty that you realize that it needs to be dealt with. The reality is that he's a good God. When you sin at core, it's, it's against other people, but even more than that, it's against him. He's a good God. He's a God who's righteous and who's just. He always does what's right. He always does what's fair. And he wants there to be equity, that people treat each other well. And so when you sin, when you lie, when you steal, when you commit adultery, when you do anything else, then he's really upset about that. And he says, I'm not okay with this. I'm a good judge. I see everything that you do. I know everything that goes on. One day I'm going to judge you for that. And if you do something that's evil, then that's not okay. That's what Paul says in the verse just after our text. If you look at verse 18 there, I'm not sure if you still have your Bible open, but if you look at verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the godlessness and the unrighteousness of men. When you do what's wrong, then, then that offends him. He gets angry. Really what it comes down to is, is that he always does what's right. He's a righteous God. He's always good. And he wishes people to treat each other in ways that are good and right. And when that doesn't happen, then he takes offense at that. And that's not okay. Now you... You might wonder about that. You know, why does God have to take offense at that? Sometimes we have that conversation. You know, why can't God just let it slide? Why can't he just pretend it didn't happen? Why does he have to get so mad? Wouldn't it be more honorable for him if he just let it go? Well, the reason is because he's a good judge. If someone slandered you, would it be okay if you got away with it? Someone mistreated your children. If someone bullied you, is it okay if that, that he gets away with that? That's not just. That's not fair. That's not right. And the Lord is just. He is fair. He is righteous. And so he says, whoever sins has to be punished. Paul explains in the next verses, he says, actually, he says, when you sin against each other, he says, there's something even more foundational. He says, what stands at the root of it is that people sin against me. He says, I'm God. I'm the one who created this world. And I'm the one who made you for relationship with me. 
I made you into the kind of people who you are, and I'm filled with love for you, with kindness for you, with goodness for you, and I'd love to do those things for you. But if you sin against other people, if you ignore me, if you pretend that I don't exist, and if you do things that are just really offensive to me, then God says, that is, that is really offensive to me. I'm the source of all good, and if you sin against me, then I'm going to hold that against you. And then Paul gets into this argument, and he says, he says actually, he says, you know, everybody knows about God. You might think, well, I've never heard about God. I never heard the gospel. I don't know about him. Why, is he, why does he get upset? Well, Paul says, everybody knows about God. He says, God has revealed himself. His eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen in the things that have been made. God made this universe, and when he made this universe, it's imprinted with his nature, with his character. We just had it a few weeks ago with ministers, with us as ministers. We had all the ministers in our churches. We went up to Chittering. And then one night we went out to what's called the, the Gravity Discovery Center. There's some telescopes there. And so first, the gentleman, he, he walked us through the night sky. He told us all about the different stars. Then afterwards, he set up a bunch of telescopes and we were able to see some of those stars. We ended up looking at Saturn. You look at Saturn, it actually looks in the, in the sky. It's the same as on the pictures. It's just really beautiful. It's awesome. It's majestic. Will you see that? And you stand in awe of God. That's what David says. Psalm 19, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And the same is true of the rest of God's creation. You look at the beauty of a sunset. Do you ever watch the, the scan of a baby in the womb? And you see this tiny newborn baby that's, that's in the womb, that's developing there in the womb. Then you stand in awe of God. If you ever study the complexity of DNA, then you realize that there is an intelligent mind who created this, that God is extremely intelligent. He has great wisdom, and he put this world together. The technology that he uses, the DNA that he uses, just shows something of his glory and majesty. All of creation is imprinted with his nature. And so the apostle says here, he says, everyone can know God. It's not that you can say, well, I never heard about God, don't know anything about God. No, Paul says everybody can, because God has made himself known to everyone. And since you can know about God, since he is, in chapter 2, he also talks about your conscience. Since he's given you a conscience to know what's good and right, and to know when you've done what's wrong, then it's fair for God to hold you account. That it's just, that he holds you to account for the sins that you've committed. And it's in that context that Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If you know God, if you know that he's real, if you know that he exists, if you know that he's out there, and yet you ignore him, and you turn your back on him, then you rest under judgment. And God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to draw him back to himself. And so he gives you the gospel. So he reveals more of who he is and what he's done to you through the gospel. Well, if, you, if you read through the Bible, you see what happens if you don't hear the gospel, if you don't believe the gospel. The story of the Bible is how many people have rejected God. They heard about who God is. They're told the word. They know that God exists. And yet they turn their back on him. And when they do that, that what ends up happening is that instead of having God in the center of your life, instead of him being the biggest thing, the biggest 
joy and motivation and source of gratitude for you, then what happens is that other things become central in your life. And in the Old Testament, you read through the Bible, you read about all sorts of different things. Back then, there's some people who bowed down to the sun. There's people who worshipped a calf, a bull, or... In Roman times, there's a lot of people, they had this, this little shrine in their house. They had a little image of Artemis, a little image of Zeus that they would bow down to. And, you know, we look at that and we think, well, that's really dumb. But you know what they're really after when they worship those things is that they're hoping that they would get money. Or they're hoping that, that their crops would go well that their herds and their flocks would increase. They're hoping for sexual passion and for good health and for freedom from their enemies. And so they're not so different from us. They were pursuing all the things that they really wanted in life and they were pursuing those things apart from God. They didn't know God, they didn't want God. In a real life for us today, if you don't worship God, then what are you left with? You're left with yourself, with money, with your comfort, with your pleasure, with your entertainment, that you're left with the Eagles or the Dockers, or a really nice house, or traveling around the world, or box office seats, or real life, does it satisfy? If you pursue those things, if you make a life of pursuing those things, do you look back in your life and do you say, that was a life really well lived? It's not a life that ends in joy and in peace, in rest, in security, and pleasure. That's a life that ends in pain and in misery. If you reject God, then you become center stage. Your desire, your pleasures, your loss. And in the end, if that's the life you live, Paul talks about that in the last verses of this chapter, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28, then the apostle says, then God gives you up to your loss to your passions, to your desires. He gives you up to it. If that's what you want, that's what you get. And then God gives you over to it. And then real life, many times there's profound pain and suffering. If recognition becomes your God, then you become this really needy person who's over the moon when somebody likes what you say, and who's crushed when people come down on you, when they when they give you the thumbs down. Or if money is your God, that it sucks up your time and your attention, and it takes more and more of your life, then you end up becoming estranged from your wife, and you're not around for your kids, and you don't have a relationship with the people around you because your life is always about getting money. And this is the goal. This is what ends up having your heart and your passion. If God gives you over to your sensual desires, then you get caught up in addictions. That these things rule your life. That it's about drinking. That it's about drugs. It's about gaming and shopping and pornography and sex and homosexual desires. And in the end, Paul says, it leads to a debased mind. In the very last verses of Romans 1, he talks about people giving themselves over to these things. And they end up in a place where they do what they ought not to have done. They become brutal people. They're really difficult people to be with. Now, it's possible that you, know, you hear about that and you think to yourself, well, phew, at least that's not me. I don't do that. 
I love God. I know God. I want to walk with God. I want to serve God. You know, I, my whole life has been about getting to know him and doing devotions. And, you know, I never do that kind of stuff. And that's not who I am and that's not what I want. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm so thankful. And then pretty soon, it's pretty easy to, to get into this place where you're proud about that. You think, well, you know, I've done really well. And that's the next issue that Paul addresses. Because this is exactly what happened. He's writing to the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome has two groups of people. It's got Gentiles, people who came out of a pagan world, people who used to serve and do all these different things. And it's also made up of Jews. And a lot of these Jews, they did everything in their life to make sure that they followed the law and they did what God wanted. And at the end of the day, they were really proud. Huh, we're not like them. And then the first verse of chapter 2, Paul says, who are you to pass judgment on those people? If you think that you are any better than them, Paul says, don't you realize that you're doing exactly the same things as them? You're not a perfect person. You don't love God perfectly. You don't love the people around you perfectly. But the reality is that you're a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. And that's, what he, that's the point he makes in chapter 3. He, he quotes 10 texts out of the Old Testament. And he uses these texts to say that there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who never sins. We are all sinners. And we are all worthy of God's judgment. Well, at core, God made us for relationship. And at root, every one of us says, you know, Lord, I'd really like to pursue these things that I really want. And I'm not really all that interested in relationship with you in the same way. And God says, for that, because you sin, because you do all these things against the people around you, and because you ignore me and you don't serve me, God says, you all rest under my judgment, under my, hap, under my wrath. And the only hope is the gospel. You must believe the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. At core, the, gospel, the message of the gospel is that when God confronts you with his word, then you acknowledge and you say, Lord, my life is a mess. And I have done things that are wrong. And I acknowledge that. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to push it away from me. I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to say, I have sinned against you. And I'm sorry for that. And the gospel message is that if you confess that you have sinned, then God says, I am willing to take your sins away from you. God says, I love you. And I want a relationship with you. When I first made you at the very beginning, you were perfect. You didn't sin against me. But when you rebelled against me, when Adam rebelled, and when you all rebelled, your nature was changed so that you all started sinning against me, God said, I'm not willing to leave you there. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And he's going to pay for all the sins of every person who believes in him. And so if you believe the good news, if you believe the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world and that he paid for all your sins then you will be forgiven. Then Christ will bear your curse. 
you'll bear your punishment. And then there is no guilt. Then there is no shame. Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All the guilt of your sin has been washed clean through the blood of the Lord Jesus. That's a message that God wants you to believe. He gives you the gospel because he wants you to believe it. And for you, young people, you do believe that. And that's the greatest thing in the world. That gives us so much joy. That's a, a real precious gift of God. And then the question is, how do you, how do you keep going in that, in that direction? How do you hold on to that through to the end? Because the truth is that life is never static and relationships are never static. If you think of your relationships with other people, they never stay the same. Either you grow in a relationship with a person or you grow distant from a person. If you spend time with someone, the more time you spend, the more you grow in relationship. And the less time you spend with a person, the less you grow in relationship. And sometimes it happens that you offend people. You do things that are really wrong against them. And then you feel really guilty. And sometimes the reaction is that you, you withdraw from them. And you don't want anything to do with them because you feel so guilty. And that can happen in our relationship with God as well. And so God says, it's beautiful that you believe the gospel, but you must continue to believe it. You must continue to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You must continue to read the word to know who God is. Because as you read the word, that you will be convicted that he is a gracious God, that he does love you, that he will bring you into glory, and he'll do it forever. And so you must believe the gospel. It's not just true for the young people, it's true for everyone here today. You must believe the gospel. It's the only way to be saved from, from an eternity of pain and misery and suffering. And the Lord wishes you that you continue to read his word, his good news, and that you, that you soak it up, that you seek to know God. He, he tells you about who he is and what he's done. And so he wants you to read the word that you may, may grow in it. The, the one thing that Paul says here, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And then he, he goes on and he, he uses this phrase. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so the, the way to share in this good news, the way to share in who Christ is and what he's done is by faith. He uses from faith for faith. Another way of saying it is, is from faith from first to last. It's all about faith. It's not about what you do. It's not that you have to earn anything before God. That's where the Romans were at. Some of the Romans thought we need to do right and we can earn it before God. And Paul says it's not about what you do. And there's another man. This past Tuesday, we, we just had October 31st. Some of you might know something about history or about church history. October 31st is a really big day in the history of the world. That was the day when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses up on the church door of Wittenberg. It was his Instagram account. He put up these 95 statements of what he believed the Bible teaches up on the church doors. And the church doors was the place where everybody in town used to meet and talk. He was saying at the time he was criticizing the Roman Catholic Church in the first place, in these, in these statements, the, bit of, the biggest critique was the idea that you could buy an indulgence to get your dead relatives out of purgatory. He said, that's not, what the, that's not what the Bible teaches. And for Luther, this was a really big issue. Because his whole life, he lived in fear. 
Back in those days, there's a lot of people who lived in fear. They lived in fear of the government because the government could punish you and they could literally execute you. And so there was a lot of respect and honor and these people really lived in fear of the government. Well, they had the same thing about God. Everybody in society lived in fear of God. They lived in fear of eternal punishment, eternal pain, suffering in fire for hell forever. Well, everybody knew that this was a reality and everybody was afraid of that. And so they were trying to get out of that. And that was especially Luther. He was really caught up with this. And so earlier in his life, what he tried to do is he tried to get right by what he did. I got to do it right. And so what's the best thing that you could do? You could become a monk. And so he became a monk. And in becoming a monk, he not only took on the vows of, of charity and sobriety and love, but also of poverty and of fasting and of mortification of the flesh. He did everything in his power to pay for his sins and to be right with God. And he never had peace. He never found rest. He was always anxious. Until he had to teach a course in the book of Romans. And he read the book of Romans. And Romans 1 verse 16 changed his life. And it changed the world. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Jesus Christ gives you salvation as a free gift. And there is nothing you need to do in order to earn that. There's nothing you need to do to add to that. Salvation is free. You can have it as a gift of God as long as you believe. It's really interesting. One of the last thoughts to share with you this morning, just to explain this text. Um, in this text here, the Apostle Paul, he, he has this quotation. I'm not sure if you noticed, but at the last verse of verse 17, last phrase of verse 17, there's these quotation marks there. The righteous shall live by faith. And the quotation marks are there because this is a prophecy of the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Well, the prophet Habakkuk, he wrote pretty late in Israel's history, these people had committed all sorts of sin. They were really bad. It was really terrible. And the prophet Habakkuk, he was, he was really distressed about that. The Lord seemed to be putting up with things like exploitation of the poor and undermining injustice. He seemed that he put up with people fighting with each other and committing violence against each other. And he never did anything about it. And so he's very distressed. And he asked God, he says, why? He says, why don't you do anything? And then the Lord revealed to him, he says, well, I will do something. I'm going to come in judgment against these people, and I'm going to bring the Babylonians against them. And then that was just really hard. Like all of a sudden things changed in Habakkuk's mind because he said, the Babylonians? What do you mean the Babylonians? They're the worst people in the world. They're extremely violent. They have no compassion. They have no kindness. They're just completely de just depraved people. And the Lord says, that's true. That's true. They are really terrible people. God says, in the end, I'm going to punish them for the things that they do against my people. And it's in the middle of that. He says, but the righteous will live by his faith. The only people who survive in Israel, even among the Babylonians, the only people who are going to survive are the people who have faith. The righteous will live by faith. It's those who know me, it's those who trust me, it's those who look to me for help, those are the people who are gonna survive. Well, that message 
the Apostle Paul, he was reflecting on that, and he said that's exactly the message that he's trying to bring. The only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has come, and he will save you. Doesn't matter if you're an Israelite, doesn't matter if you're a Babylonian, doesn't matter if you're an Australian, if you're English, you're Dutch, you're Chinese, doesn't matter your nationality, doesn't matter your background. If you give sin a place in your heart, if you don't repent, you're going to be punished. But God says, I don't want to do that. I want to save you. And so I give you my gospel. So all those who believe in me, they will be saved. Well, don't we serve an awesome God? It's the greatest thing in the world that God wants to have a relationship with us. May God give us great faith. One day you're going to stand before his judgment. He's going to, the world is going to end. He's going to be seated on a throne. Jesus Christ is going to be the judge. And everything that everybody has ever done is going to come into the open. And for you who believe in Jesus Christ, it's going to be the best day of your lives. Because Christ is going to say, that one, he belongs to me. I paid for all his sins. And there is no guilt. And there is no shame. And there is no judgment. And then you'll come into the, the presence of your Lord. And your Lord will love you. He will live with you. You'll get to be with him in a world where there is no more sin. Where there is no more pain. Where you never do anything wrong. But where you get to live with God in this open relationship. Where you get to have the peace, the rest that he promises his people. Well, this is great joy for you to share. Young people, the Lord extends that to you. He gives you that gift. We're going to ask you in just a minute, do you believe that you are a sinner? Do you confess your sins to God? Do you believe that you're forgiven for Jesus' sake? And it's as you confess that, that the Lord says, I forgive you, and you belong to me, and I'll take care of you forever. Well, what a kindness. May God give us all great faith in him. May we have much joy as his dear children. Amen. I'm going to invite you to sing together. We're going to sing from Hymn 28. Hymn 28 is a hymn that celebrates the gift of faith, that God uses faith in order to, to let us share in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. So Hymn 28, verses 1, 6, and 7. You can find that on page 405 of your book of praise.
Let's just pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for the gospel of salvation. We thank you for the good news that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to pay for all our sins. Father, we are sinners. We are those who who lie to our parents. Sometimes we bully our siblings or we bully those at school. Sometimes we cheat on a test. Sometimes it happens to us, Lord, that we get mad at people. They they confront us with something we've done wrong and we don't want to confess it. So we, we get angry with them and we take it out on them. Sometimes we look back at our life, Lord, and we see some pretty serious things that we've done. We're people who we've lied and some occasions where it really hurt people deeply. We've slandered people. We're those who, who've cheated on our spouse. Sometimes we've done things like molesting children and aborting our babies. And, and Lord, we, we rejected you. We now come to you. And we want to confess that. And we want to ask you for your grace and forgiveness. We want to plead with you, Lord, that for Jesus' sake, that you not hold our sins against us, but that you forgive us and that you show us mercy. Thank you for being a forgiving God. Thank you that it is your joy to show grace, that your heart is filled with love for people. And it is your greatest joy that you not hold our sins against us, but that you, that you forgive us for the sake of your Son. Father, please give us the courage to be honest with you. Please give us the insight into our own lives. Please grant that we may continue to read the gospel, that we understand your word, and that by using it, that we may continue to grow and to develop in a relationship with you. Please help us in this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So the next thing we get to... uh, to move on to is we have the opportunity now for the, to witness the public profession of faith of, of these young people and these older people. To that end, I'd like to read with you the form for the public profession of faith. If you want to read along, you're welcome to do that. You can find that on page 602 of your book of praise. So on page 602, beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank the Lord our God for the grace given us by adopting us to be his children and receiving us into his covenant. We acknowledge his love and power by which he instills in his children the desire to publicly profess their faith in him in the presence of his holy church so that they may receive admission to the Holy Supper. Since you have now come here to make this profession before God and his holy church, and hereby to receive admission to the Holy Supper, we ask you to answer sincerely the following questions. And can I ask you, please ask you, young people, are you, who are going to make a profession, if you could please stand up. Roz, if you would stand up as well. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. You are young at heart. First, do you wholeheartedly believe the doctrine of the Word of God as summarized in the Confessions and taught here in this Christian church? Do you promise, by the grace of God, steadfastly to continue in this doctrine in life and death, 
rejecting all heresies and errors conflicting with God's word? Second, do you acknowledge God's covenant promises, which have been signified and sealed to you in your baptism? Do you truly detest and humble yourself before God because of your sins and seek your life and your salvation outside of yourself in Jesus Christ? Third, do you declare that you love the Lord God, that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word, to forsake the world, and to crucify your old nature? Fourth, do you firmly resolve to commit your whole life to the Lord's service as a living member of his church? Do you promise to submit willingly to the admonition and discipline of the church, if it should happen, and may God graciously prevent it, that you become delinquent in either doctrine or in conduct? Jonathan Bullhouse, what is your answer? Sam Phillips, what is your answer? I I get nervous sometimes and I can't think of people's names right away. (laughs) Sebastian Zanman, what is your answer? I do. Hanno Boone, what is your answer? I do. Paige Old, what is your answer? I do. Alicia Plug, what is your answer? I do. Belinda Denboer, what is your answer? I do. Sienna Wagner, what is your answer? I do. Roz Stowe, what is your answer? Jolene Chow, what is your answer? Well, after you have suffered a little while, may the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you to rise, and we're going to sing together from Psalm 134, verse 3. has done profession of faith, she'd also like to bring her son Joseph for baptism. Joseph has never been baptized. So Joseph, before we baptize you, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to read through a form. There's a form in the Book of Praise that talks about what baptism is all about. So we're going to read together the form for the baptism of infants. Again, if you want to follow along, you can find that just a few pages back, page 597. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls 
so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs, and promises to provide us with all things for our good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is a seal and a trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they, without their knowledge, received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and this also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descent and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, for the promise is to you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. The circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we can now administer this holy sacrament to God for his glory, for our comfort, for the upbuilding of the congregation, let's first call upon his name in true faith. Let us pray. Almighty eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punish the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, but in your great mercy, saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look on this child, of your, on this child 
and incorporate Joseph by your Holy Spirit into your son Jesus Christ so that he may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that he, following him day by day, may joyfully bear his cross, and that Joseph may cleave to Christ in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Grant that he, comforted in you, may leave this life which is no more than a constant death, and that at the last day he may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, the one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Jolene, can I, can I ask you to rise? Beloved in Christ the Lord, you've heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use it for that purpose, not of custom or superstition. That's clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as, ought, as members of his church ought to be baptized? And second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? Third, do you promise as mother, and also for you, Brian, as father, do you promise to instruct your child in this doctrine as, as he is able to understand and to have him instructed therein to the utmost of your power? Jolene, what is your answer? Well then, you're invited to come forward. Joseph, you're invited to come forward here. We'll baptize you. And then following the baptism, I'm going to invite everyone to, to rise. So we're going to sing together. And it's not on the, um, the liturgy there, but it's, it's Psalm 105, verse 3. Joseph, are you, are you going to come up here, Brian? Joseph, Joseph Wong, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Once again, let's pray to God and let's thank Him for this gift. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You have received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son and so adopted us to be your children. You've sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern Joseph by your Holy Spirit that he may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness that he may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that he may thus acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you've shown to him and to us all. May he live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king and high priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May he forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. And Father, we also want to bring his parents before you. I want to ask that you be near to Brian, that you help him to, to bring up his son to know and love you, that he can also walk closely with you, that he receives your grace and it goes well for him. I also pray for Jolene. Thank you, Lord, that she can also join our church this morning. We pray for your blessing in her life as well. Please grant that she may be deeply grounded in your word, that she can be a blessing also for, for her husband, for her son, and also for, for her daughter. We also bring, bring faith before you. We just prayed for Joseph, but we also bring, want to bring their daughter faith before you as well. We want to pray, Lord, that you be near to her, that you grant that she may walk closely with you, that she knows you well, and that she rests under your grace and blessing. Please grant, Lord, that this family can be your people, that you reveal yourself to them, that they know you and that they love you that they rest under your blessing, that it goes well for them. Father, this is a gift of your grace, and so we pray it for Jesus' sake. And we ask the same for all of us, Lord. We pray that you be near to every one of us. We pray that you would help us to, to grow in faith, that we would walk closely with you, and that we would receive your grace. We're so thankful, Lord, for the others who have made public profession of their faith. We're grateful for our brother Sam and our sister Roz, that they're able to profess their faith in you, that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they understand the teachings of the Scriptures, that we're able to, to reflect with them on who you are and what you have done, and that, that they trust you as their Lord and Savior. Father, please bless them in their walk with you. Help them to know you more and more, and grant, Lord, that, that they can receive a rich measure of your peace and your guidance and your comfort in their lives. Thank you for bringing them to us. And thank you, Lord, that we get to help each other in the service of your name. Please shine your face upon them and, and be near to them. And then, Lord, we also wish to thank you for all the other young people that you have brought here this morning. We're so grateful for the faith that you have worked in their hearts. Thank you that they could be born in Christian families. Thank you for Jonathan and Hanno and Melinda and Paige, for Alicia and Sienna and Sebastian. Thank you, Lord, that, that they are that they're able to make this public profession of their faith today. And we wish to ask you that you would strengthen them so that they're true to their word. We pray, Father, that you would help them to grow in the gospel, that they know Jesus Christ more and more, that they understand what you have done for them with greater depth and clarity, and that they can devote their lives in service before you. We pray, Father, that you would protect them from the attacks of the devil. We want to ask that you keep them safe, that you protect them so that they, they never fall away from you, 
that they never turn their back on you and reject you. If ever they sin against you, Lord, give them confidence in your love for them. Give them confidence in the blood of Jesus, that our Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven all our sins, that he does it because of his great love for us. Father, we pray that they too may stand at the last day before your throne of grace, that they may do that with joy and with gratitude, trusting in the blood of the Lord Jesus on their behalf. Father, what a lot of joy that is for us as a church. We thank you and we honor you and we give you the glory because this is your work. We pray, Lord, that you'd also comfort us and give us much joy as we, as we witness these things, that you are among us and that you're busy with us. We confess that you are a glorious God and we're deeply grateful for the gifts of your grace. We also wish to ask, Lord, that you bring many other people to know you. We pray that this message of the gospel can go out. Please grant that if there's anyone worshiping with us today who doesn't know you and who doesn't have a relationship with you, that you would work in their heart, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you show them what a great God you are and what a beautiful thing it is to have a relationship with you. Father, we mentioned earlier on that there are some young people who have left us who don't have a relationship with you, and we pray for their repentance, that they're able to recognize sin for what it is, and that you bring them back to us and that we can worship you together once again. We pray that you would please grant your grace for the sake of your son. We, we thank you and we honor you. And we do this for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, the, the next thing we, we can do in our worship of God is we get to worship God also by giving our gifts of thanksgiving to him. This morning, we're going to have a collection for, for those who are needy, for the poor people. And so it's for the Ministry of Mercy. So you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to God for the gifts of his grace. Then after the collection, you're invited to rise. And we're going to sing together from hymn 26, verse 1.
Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Folks, if I can ask you to all please take a seat. This is one of these beautiful times where we get to uh, to reflect together with gratitude to the Lord for the gift that he's given to you young people to make a profession of faith and a new old person as well. Um, usually what we do is, is we'd be really blessed that um, we often ask the parents um, and sometimes the elders to, uh, to choose a text. Um, so the young people have had an opportunity a few weeks ago to pick a text out of the uh, or to pick a book that they wanted. As consistory, we love to give a gift to the young people to encourage them in their faith in Christ. They picked a devotional book, and so we want to, to give that to you. And we've asked um, your parents for a text um, to write in the book just to encourage you in your faith in God. So what I'd like to do is to read out those texts with you. So dear Jonathan Bullhouse, did I call you Johnny? I'm sorry. Jonathan. His name is Jonathan. Jonathan. The text that mom and dad have chosen for you is Jeremiah 8 verse 18. No, sorry. Jeremiah 6 verse 16. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where, is, where the good way is. Walk in it and find rest for your souls. Johnny, come on. Congratulations. You get to stand here the longest. <laughs> Melinda, if you can come up here. I should have asked Jonathan to come up here earlier. Sorry. Please come up here. Melinda, mom and dad have chosen for you from Isaiah 41 verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Congratulations. Hanno? Hanno, your parents have chosen for you the text from John 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Congratulations. Paige? Page, your parents have chosen for you, Micah 6, verse 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Congratulations, Paige. Thank you. Alicia. Alicia, your parents have chosen for you Colossians 1, verses 8 to 12. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Congratulations. Sam? Sam, the text is from Matthew 16, verses 15 to 17. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Sam, welcome. Congratulations. Roz? Roz, the text we've chosen for you is from Philippians 4, the verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Roz, welcome, and many congratulations. Sienna? Go ahead. Sienna, mom and dad have chosen for you Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Congratulations. Jolene? Jolene, the text is from Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Congratulations and welcome. Brothers and sisters, oh. <laughs> let me not forget the very last and most important one. Baz, get up here. You're waiting patiently there. I overlooked you. My apologies. That's just to get even for Reuben. So just, just so you all know, I was in the consistory room. I slipped out to check to see if we had to start the service or not or where things were really at. And I come back into the consistory room and he's like, so Reuben, have you ever had your papers all mixed up? <laughs> and I said, Reuben, I trust you. I trust you would never do such a thing. And now here you suffer for your dad's sake. <laughs> it is not so. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. 
That's the text that mom and dad have chosen for you, Baz. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Congratulations. Brothers and sisters, we have so much to be thankful for, such a gift of God's grace and such a kindness to us. What I'd like to, to do, I thought the way we'd finish off is that we're, I'm going to invite you to all rise. We're going to sing together from hymn 85, verse 1. Welcome to, uh, to come to the fellowship hall. We're going to, uh, well, no, maybe outside. Maybe the fellowship, I don't know where we're going to do it, but you're welcome for a coffee. There's coffee, there's some snacks, there's some things around, so please stick around and you have an opportunity to also congratulate the young people. Have a blessed day.